0: Welcome home. You're listening to the 180 Church Podcast with Dr. Sammy and Friends. Dr. Sammy and Friends are resting this week and will return next week. However, we have a leader from our local church community giving today's message.
1: Take the average university student today to a great art museum, and they do not have a clue of what these paintings are about. Take them to the Sistine Chapel in Rome. Have them look up at Leonardo da Vinci's masterwork on the ceiling. They have no clue of what he was trying to say because they don't know the story. And sadly, they then do not have the big clues about the meaning of life. Tell me a story. Thank God, God has told us a story. A cluster of stories in the 66 books of the Bible. Genesis 1 to 11 speaks to the fundamental questions all the other stories are raising. Questions like, where did we come from, Grandpa? Why are we here? What are we? Are we alone in the universe? What does it mean to be human? Why does it hurt to be a human? Why do human societies rise and flourish and then begin to rot at the core? Where is God in all this? What kind of God is in all of this? Can the world be fixed? Who will do the fixing and when? We are fundamentally relational creatures. We are made for relationship. This is why broken relationships hurt more than broken bones. Now, the most important role of the stories in Genesis 1 to 11 is to help us realize why we need a Savior and what the Savior comes to do. We ended with saying that there was only one command in the Garden of Eden. And I mentioned that if we have maybe in the question and answer time, I can show you how that one command is at the root of all the other commands. The one command is, I'll now paraphrase it, you be human, I'll be God. <laughs> you try to be God, and it'll all come apart because you can't. And you'll become less human than I made you. That's the one command. Or to put it positively then, trust me. You trust me. Let me be creator, you be the creature, and everything will work out. Enter the snake. Oh, I forgot to draw the snake. Um, So we got to draw this little snakey guy comes in here. Um, And the snake is on the cartoon is saying, did God say? And you've heard that question raised many times. (laughs) Did God say? So let's read again chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. You have it in front of you. Genesis 3, 1 to 5. Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. Notice the author doesn't bother giving us a history of evil. Uh, Just assumes it. You have to find that in other parts of the Bible. Just assumes that this beast comes in. He says to the woman, Indeed, has God said you shall not eat from any tree of the garden? The wo- By the way, it, did he quote the, God's word correctly? No. That's the nature of evil. Never really quite quotes God's word accurately. God did not say, you shall not eat from any tree of the garden, did he? In fact, he said the opposite. You may eat from any tree of the garden except the one. And the woman said to the serpent, from the, tree, from the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat from it or touch it lest you die. The serpent said to the woman, you surely shall not die, for God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God knowing good and evil. Now, the serpent comes in and twists God's word in a particular direction. He twists God's word to sow suspicion. Did God say? The implication being, Eve, God is not really for you. God is holding something back that you need, because he does not really want you to live a full human life. That's the goal of the evil one with all of us, to get us suspicious that God is not for us, to help us think that if God makes a command not to do something, he's withholding something from us. Or if God gives a command to do something, he's doing it because he doesn't like us and he wants us to have a miserable life. (laughs) That's his great strategy. If you study then later on how this serpent then interacts with Jesus of Nazareth, creator in the flesh, that's exactly the same tact. Get Jesus to doubt that the Father is good. And all of us have experienced this. Eve starts to buy into this, and we notice these notes of suspicion. For instance, she leaves out freely when she quotes back in verse 2, from the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat. God said, you may eat freely. So she's left that out, which means she's getting a little suspicious. She adds that this tree, the knowledge of good and evil, is in the middle. It's not in the middle. The tree of life is in the middle. So now she's becoming suspicious that she really needs this, that this is as central as, central as life itself. She adds that God said you can't touch it. That, God didn't say that. So she's now really getting suspicious. And she drops, you will die. The evil one's agenda was to get her to raise the question in her own mind, can I trust this God? Would a good God tell me not to do something? You've heard that. The suspicion that the, this God is not for her and Adam, and therefore that she does need to take things into her own, matters into her own hand and carve out her own life. So, in chapter three, verse six, then that Moses tells us or. The woman saw that the tree was good for food. It was a delight to the eyes, and the tree was desirable to make one wise. She took from its fruit and ate, gave to her husband with her, and he ate. And then the whole thing starts falling apart. There's this avalanche of sin. This beautiful garden now turns into a cemetery. And all four of these relationships then began to break. The relationship with God is broken. And I'm going to put these green lines in here as a way to say that. In chapter 3, verse 8, it's, the text says that they hid themselves from the Lord God. Up to that point, whenever God would walk in the garden, they welcomed his presence. Yay, God's here. Now that they've declared this independence, now God's presence is a threat to their independence and so they hide. Someone has said that the characteristic human posture is that of hiding from God. And we do it in a lot of different ways. Noise, I think the noisiness of our culture is partly that. We don't have to deal with God, just keep the volume going all the time. We hide with busyness, because if you finally stop and are silent, you can hear his voice that's too threatening. We hide through chemicals, alcohol, cannabis, other kinds of things. And interestingly, we hide in religion. <laughs> religion, by what I mean by religion now, is this effort that on our own to put our life together and to please God. We hide in that religious ethos. Someone has said that most churches pay their pastors to protect them from God. Just keep all the religious machinery going, uh, keep all of the nice routines going, help people feel good about themselves, uh, that they kind of have this God consciousness, but don't really get serious. So we've moved from this intimacy where God has kissed the humanoid into being into now hiding. That relationship breaks. The relationship with the self now breaks. Chapter 10, 3, verse 10, they are naked. And they're ashamed. The point being that this separation now from God is now experienced as a separation in the self. Because we're cut off from God and the knowledge of God, we then no longer know ourselves. We can only know who we are in relationship to the Creator. And once that decision has been made, then we lose our sense of identity. We we cannot put ourselves together again. The relationship with others, the third relationship, is also broken between the man and the woman. Chapter 3, verse 16. Uh, Adam blames Eve for this fall. God says to Adam, did you eat of the tree I told you not to eat? The woman you gave me, she did it. So, already beginning to move the blame on there. By the way, notice that, that he's also blaming God. You gave me the woman. Um, but the, in chapter th- 3, verse 16, that statement of uh, the last part of it, your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. Uh, it's important here to point out to kids, to, uh, to each of us right here in this room, too, that this is descriptive. Not proscriptive. Um, in Genesis 3, you have the description of the fall. In Genesis 2, you have the proscription of what God wants for humanity. You don't build your ethics on chapter 3. You build your ethics on chapter 2, on the original intent that God had for men and women. In chapter 3, then, you've got what he's describing the effect of, of eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Adam will rule over Eve. That's not a statement that men are to rule over women. That's a statement of the fall. That's sin, that men rule over women. And then it says, and your desire shall be for him, that Eve will desire her husband. I used to think, well, that's a really good thing, that even as the man tries to um, rule over her, she's going to desire him. No, the word desire then comes later in chapter 4, where Cain is facing uh, temptation, and God says... Uh, The sin has desire for you, and you must master it. This word desire is that the woman, as the man tries to um, rule it over her, she's going to try to desire to dominate over him. And so you've got this, instead of this mutual cooperation, this egalitarian mutuality that we were created for, you've got the man trying to lord it over the woman and the woman trying to lord it over the man. Partnership has now moved to the attempt to dominate. And then the relationship with the earth is affected. It too is broken. Chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. The ground is cursed. There's pain in childbirth. See, in Genesis 1, God had said, be fruitful and multiply. And the consequence of declaring independence from God means that there's now pain in fruitfulness, and there's pain. There's pain in being fruitful, and there's pain in multiplying. It's just not working anymore. Now, that's not where the story ends, though. And I like the way Sally Jones, um, Lloyd Jones, says it in the uh, Jesus storybook Bible. I, mean, I think many of you have that. Right there in the middle of Genesis 3. Um, well, in another story, it would be all over. And that would have been the end. In the next page, but not in this story. So, what we see, even though there's this breakdown in all four of those relationships, in each of the relationships, there is grace. And I want to show you that. Genesis 3 is full of grace. As sin is ruining this world and breaking all four of those relationships, and we know what that's like, We've, we experience all four of those breaks, nevertheless, there's grace, for instance. And I'm going to use a red pen now to, to suggest that in the, even as they're, they're broken, there's a bridge that's being built in each of these relationships. The ground still produces food. In the garden that has become a cemetery, gardens still grow. That's grace. You see, when we live from this story, you look out at the vegetation of the world and you see grace. That's, by the way, where the tradition came for saying grace when you eat. It shouldn't have been that way. Sin destroyed this relationship, yet God in His grace Still enables the earth to bear fruit. In the relationship with the others, men and women still want each other. They still have the capacity to care for each other. That's grace. Adam calls Eve. Eve. Adam calls Eve. Eve, and it means living. That even under this reign of death, we still are alive. And we still have something of God's life in us. That's grace. And then the relationship with the self. God does something wonderful there, too. It's chapter 3, verse 21. God covers the nakedness of Adam and Eve. Earlier on in chapter 3, verse 7, they tried to hide under the fig leaves. I thought, as a kid, that always intrigued me how, how they did that. They try to hide under the fig leaves. God knows this isn't working. And so God then covers them. It's a beautiful picture of grace. And then this relationship with God that has been broken. Oops, wrong wrong color. Um, I want the red. You're going to see why I have the red in a moment. There's all kinds of grace that go on in this chapter with the relationship with God. For instance... In chapter 3 verse 9 God asks where are you where are you the implication being God still wants a relationship with this rebel where are you God is always calling us out of our hiding God is always calling everybody out of their hiding that's something you can know by the way in any situation where you live or work that God in the mysterious way is calling all these people out of hiding One way or another, God is going to have a relationship. He's not going to be frustrated by this. As I already mentioned, he covers the shame of Adam and Eve. And it's interesting, it's animal skins that he puts on them, which means what? And some animal died. And it's a picture then that's through some kind of death, this shame is going to be taken away. Isaiah 61, verse 10. He clothes me with garments of salvation. Psalm 32 and Romans 4. Blessed are those whose sin is covered. God covers the shame. And then he protect the the other way that this is full of grace is that God protects the way to the tree of life. Maybe that's bothered you in chapter 3 verse 24 where he drives the man out and then sets um, at, the, uh, sets at the gates, this sword to guard the way to the tree of life so that Adam and Eve don't reach out and grab this tree in their independence. That's grace. It's grace because God does not want a creature who is now seeking to live independent of him, grab hold of this life, and then live eternally in independence. That would be horrifying. So God, in His grace, protects the way. And then, the great note of grace is in chapter 3, verse 15. Read that with me. Look at that very carefully. It's called the Proto-Gospel. 3.15, God is speaking to the serpent. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed And her seed. He will bruise you on the head, that is, the seed of the serpent will bruise you on the head. You, the seed of the woman, will bruise him on the heel. In that text, God is promising that one day a woman is going to have a seed, slash child, slash son, and that child is going to crush the serpent. And as a result of that, be able to then put these things back together again. A seed is to come, which will help you understand at Genesis 12, when God calls Abraham and Sarah, God makes a promise to Abraham that in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. He then makes it clear that Abraham is going to have a son, and the Hebrew text is seed. And in this seed, all the families of the earth are going to be blessed. You keep reading this word seed through the rest of the story, and you get to David, and David is promised a seed that will one day come and rule over a kingdom of peace that has no end. You have a text like Isaiah 9, a child will be given to us, a son will be given, and in him, light will come into the darkness, etc. All building up to a great text, Galatians 4.4. 4. In the fullness of time, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman. And anyone who had been steeped in these chapters would have understood what Paul is saying. After all these centuries, here finally now is this seed of the woman who has come into the world to crush the evil one. And because of that crushing of the evil one, then there can now be the reversal and starting to put all those four relationships back together again. So, why do we need a Savior? We need a Savior because all four of these relationships are broken. And you know it, and I know it, right? We can all give testimony to some dimension of brokenness in all four of these relationships. That's why we need a Savior. And what does the Savior come to do? to put all these relationships back together again. Earlier on, I said, before we saw the brokenness, that Genesis 2 is describing what righteousness is all about. Righteousness is right relationship. And there's some interesting texts. Romans chapter 1, verse 16 and 17. The apostle Paul is saying, I'm eager to preach the gospel in Rome. Why are you eager to preach the gospel in Rome? He says, because I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why are you not ashamed of the gospel? Because it's the power of God unto salvation. Why is the gospel the power of God unto salvation? And here's the line. Because in it, the righteousness of God is revealed. And Paul, I think, has these chapters in mind. In the gospel of Jesus Christ, God's way of putting all these relationships back together is revealed. Great text in Romans is Romans chapter 5, verse 20. Where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Tell me a story, Grandpa. Okay, I'll tell you a story. You were made for four relationships a relationship with the earth, a relationship with other people, a relationship with yourself. And a relationship with God. And God told us, you only have one command to make this work. Trust me. Let me be God. We didn't do it. But God did not give up. God has come all the way down in the person of Jesus Christ to put this relationship with the earth back together, put the relationship with other people back together, to put the relationship with the self back together because he's putting the relationship with God back together. Tell me a story, Grandpa. Okay, I'll tell you my favorite story when I was a little boy. Humpty Dumpty. I think I identify with Humpty Dumpty. Humpty Dumpty is this little egg, you know, that sits on a wall. I identified with him as a, it's a fat egg because I have a little chubby boy. Too many chocolate chip cookies. Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. And all the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty together again. Why used to feel so bad for Humpty Dumpty? (laughs) Smashed egg on the ground. All the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty together again until my dad told me about a king who can put Humpty Dumpty together again. In fact, he can put the whole human race back together again. He can put the whole cosmos together again. And that makes sense because we have these two chapters.
2: Come and make my heart your- person
1: of jesus christ so we pray for this lord in jesus name amen will you bury heads for the benediction today
2: be still and know i am god be still and know i am be still and know be still God bless you. Until we see each other again, shalom.
0: Hi, everyone. My name is Minyang. I'm a member here at 1A Church, and we're so glad that you were able to attend today's service with us. Um, there are a few community news that I'd like to share with you all. The first announcement is about our tithes and offering. We want to remind all of our members here at 180 Church to keep God in the center of your life, which includes your finances. You guys can do so through the online payment methods shown on the screen. You can give through Venmo at church180, Zelle and Chase QuickPay at offering at 180church.tv, or if PayPal is your preferred method of giving, you can head over to our website at 180church.tv where there is a link to donate through PayPal. Our next announcement is about our prayer text hotline at 180church, which is available on text at 5397Prayer, and also via email at prayer at 180church.tv. This is a resource for everybody, and especially during this difficult time where we need some prayer and support, there is a prayer team that's ready to help you and to pray for all the requests that you may have. Um, If your prayers have been answered, you can also share them on the text hotline, and we can celebrate the good news together. Next up is about small groups at 180 Church. These are smaller pockets of our community that meet on a weekly basis where we can dive a little bit deeper into the word and share how the message from that Sunday uh, spoke to us. We have a few different groups that are all meeting virtually now. And if you're not currently connected with the group, you can reach out to Pastor Billy at the email shown on the screen and he can get you plugged in into a group for you. We also have a YouTube channel at 180 Church NYC, where I'm sure most of you guys are watching us right now. And we also have two different Instagram pages at 180 Church and also at 180BRG, where there are really encouraging posts and verses that get shared there. So I hope you guys will follow us there and be
1: encouraged. That's all of our community news. Once again, we want to thank everyone for joining us this Sunday, and we hope to see you again soon. Bye.